This is Jane Hardwick Collins, founder of the School of Shamanic Womancraft. Connecting to our inner dimensions. Inner reviews of transformation. When and how my life changed. Rewilding women with their stories of growth and transformation. Reclaiming feminine knowledge and power. Thank you for joining us. This is important and deep, serious work. So welcome to the podcast series. I am Ayla Myra, your podcast host and story guide. episode 25 of the Womancraft podcast and really excited for this episode with Susan who is a sexological body worker and somatic sex educator and counsellor and she journeyed uh, 10 years ago so one of the originals off the ranks so it's really good to see the evolution of the school but also hear that beautiful space holding um, from Susan and how she's flowed into the work that she's doing now into the world. So enjoy. Hi, Susan. Welcome so much to the Woman Craft Podcast. Um, we've been a few months in the waiting for us to join together and chat. So really appreciate us being here together. And we're just on a post full moon in April. Um, so welcome. Beautiful. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you. Yeah. And... I just want to start off on the, you know, talking about uh, your time in the Four Seasons journey, which I'm super like excited because you were 2010 slash 11. So one of the first people off the rank. Yeah, second year. Second year, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'd love to just ask a lot of questions about what that was like and how it's grown and evolved Mm. most certainly to what it is now. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, how, how did you, you find the work and how did you, you know, come to do this journey? What called you? It was, I actually have a very clear memory of the first time I heard about Jane's work. I was at a, uh, a rally. We were um, protesting about um, home birth, I think, or something at a local hospital and I heard someone there talk about, Jane and this person doing these vision quests and my ears just pricked up and and I immediately went home googled her and I just knew I had to be there it was one of those pivot points in my life a really significant pivot point Um, and there's been a couple and this was one that I just I didn't really know anything about the school I'd never really heard about Jane but I just knew I had to be there and in that course um, with her in the four seasons journey so I did yeah, just took a leap. Yeah, and the rally, so was this um, post, do you have children? And if so, did you go to the rally, you know, in support of home birth because of mm. your experiences or what brought you there? Yeah, it was, well, this was 10 years ago um, in Queensland and I had three children at that time. Um, two of them had been born at home and so I felt really strongly about um, women's choices around birth there was a lot of stuff going on at the time politically around um, removing women's choice in that space in home birth and so we were at a local hospital waiting for that then minister I can't even remember that person's name but the the minister to arrive and um, there was only a handful of us but yeah being really active in voicing our concerns around home birth and choice for women at that time. Mm, Ten years on, not, I would say, a great deal has changed, no. but we're still there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, not saying that it has to be, for always for me, it's like why it doesn't have to be home birth or another method of birthing. Mm. It's mainly just, you know, supporting continuity programs and 
having um, you know people feel heard and seen in birth and pregnancy mm. and mm. yeah yeah absolutely. Yes. and it's so much about choice for me and that's the underpinning thing whether it's talking about birth or um, reproductive choice or health or nutrition or sex or whatever it is it's around choice around our own body mm. Mm. it's really underpins and, it and so were you so you're a somatic sex coach mm-hmm. were you practicing that back then or had any you know inclination into that pathway none none whatsoever if you had asked me 10 years ago (laughs) what I would have been doing this was not on my bucket list I did not have a clue I mean I loved my body I loved my relationship with my body I loved sex but to have any inkling that I would be um you know, running my own business as a somatic sex coach and a counsellor, really working in this space, no, it wasn't even on my radar. I love this so much. Yeah. (laughs) When you can look back in retrospect and, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, well, I'll hopefully during this conversation be interesting to know how you went into that, this realm Mm -hmm. that you're in now, which is amazing and, yeah, I know that I'm really interested in you know, in that at the moment in my own personal journey. So mm. I'll probably have a lot of questions for you mm-hmm. around that. Great. So you're at the uh, rally and so you heard the whispers mm. <laughs> about the school mm-hmm. and how, what was the, you know, process from there on? Like how was that for you and did you still just have this like, yep, I'm going to do it or was there any doubts that came up or? I'm sure there was doubts and I'm sure there was questioning, but predominantly it was just this really strong felt sense of yes, that I needed to be there and I just needed to trust that and go with that. There was lots of obstacles on my way. I I mean, I had three kids at home. I, I didn't have my own income at that point in time. So, you know, like I had to dip into family money. So there was, you know, like stuff around that. I just before, I think I may have been pregnant um, at that rally and then miscarried right before and I can remember a conversation with Jane and her suggesting maybe now's not the time maybe you wait and I it was still this resounding yes and I wasn't willing to wait and I just I just knew I had to be there so there was different things that that could have deterred me from that yes but they didn't it was I just felt really strongly um, my partner lost his job I remember just before there was it might have been just before vision quest lost his job like two nights before and so there was lots of obstacles but essentially I just kept trusting and following the yes and stepping into the next piece and trusting I'd have what I needed for the next piece and, and keep moving mm. Mm. And it's such a beautiful common response from mm-hmm. people that that just that depth and myself included, mm. you know, amongst all the doubts and obstacles in my head, mm. that just constant calling like of, you know, visioning myself there and, yeah, and a lot of people say the same thing too. Yeah. You know, it just was yeah, like, right. yeah, we're doing this. Yeah, it's a real place of just trusting and trusting that whatever shows up is part of the process and part of the journey too. So mm. not seeing them as deterrents but just the next piece. Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? Like what usually what I feel, you know, the mind can look at that like a deterrent and start to create stories and then mm. next minute you're on this whole other tangent of like probably you know, not feeling worthy enough or X, Y, Z and, you know, oh, it's too much and this and, yeah, Mm. it's um, interesting how it can flip from that to that but how strong that it kind of like I feel it like it's coming from the womb or something, this deep pulling. It's like, no, come back in here. like (laughs) Yeah, and are you willing to trust that even if the mind – wants to go into the story about why not are you willing to really fill in and trust that and and surrender and Mm. just take the next step not even Mm. necessarily knowing where that's going to end up but just the next step Mm. absolutely Mm. and so how was that next step for you you know rocking up to your first gathering Oh, it was so exciting. I felt like I was right where I wanted to be. I was so scared, so nervous, so excited, all wound up together. 
Um, and just this, I, I can clearly remember, I couldn't sleep. I remember the first night I couldn't sleep and I was up outside and watching the moon and just like, it was almost like, oh, pinch me. <laughs> I'm actually here. I'm actually in amongst this and this is happening um, for me and just feeling this deep sense of landing, being right where I needed to be with exactly the right people I needed to be with. Um, oh, beautiful. I love yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so the school has evolved over the last 10 years, of course. Mm. I'm just wondering um, with the processes in 2010-11, what what was some of the first um, processes? Did you make your drum at that first gathering? Mm-hmm. And if so, how was that for you? And looking at your own birth story, what was that like for you too? Oh, yes, I clearly remember making my drum, um, sitting out on the grass um, and weaving those threads. I've still, I've got a really clear image and, and the struggle I had in, in um, my struggles in making my drum was more with the hide rather than the actual making of the drum. Once I got past this whole piece around death and dying and the, what that the, the hide brought up for me, my process of threading the drum um, and making it and loving it and honouring it was just flowed. Um, and that's interesting in my – it's actually I've just come from a, a session with a client of my own this morning and talking about how we birth things and how we birth ourselves and our limbic imprint around that and sharing my own process, which is still true to, to today and I'm so glad I have some awareness about it because my process of birthing myself is I – I get really juicy, really creative. I love, love it. And I'm right in, whether I'm creating a workshop or whatever it is, I'm right in it. And then I hit this point of going, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not interested. I'm, I'm not up for this. And I used to disengage at that point and, and that'd be it. I wouldn't complete things that I, I was done. But having an awareness of through birthing my drum, having that awareness now, I know when this point shows up and I know that it's transient and I know if I just make a space for it, it'll shift and move and I can keep moving forward. So yeah, birthing my drum was um, beautiful awareness around some really key pieces that still stay with me. Mm. Yeah. And how was that reflection with your own birth and looking at, you know, looking at that connection, mm. did you have some big aha moments during that weaving process? And I guess, crafting? I mean, I have no information. My mother died um, when I was 10 and I, I, at that time I remember desperately wanting to have the information around my own birth and contacting the hospital and then just it was this just crazy piece of red tape bureaucracy around, well, we she can't give us permission so you don't get access to those files. I mean, essentially there's nothing in those files anyway. Inf- there was no information because nothing was really recorded then. Um, so I, so I, so my journey in, in a lot of ways was guessworking and, and trying to work it out for myself as, as I went. And that's been a lot of my journey, actually, having to, the paperwork isn't there. So I have to feel in and I have to go with the guesswork or the gut or my gut around what's next, what's the next piece. Mm. Yeah, so that's interesting. That's just like we are talking about before, right, that trust process mm-hmm. and that womb-centred trust process. And did you find that just organically happened straight away or were you grappling with other you know like if something came up around your own birth story and so many people don't know their own birth story of course Mm. for varied reasons um did yeah did that land easily for you and you're like yep that's it or it took a while for it to you know manifest itself I suppose I think you know my intuition has always been there but my capacity to make a space for it and really trust it and honor it has grown over time to the point now that it's it's it guides me. It's the thing I listen to most, and I've learnt that in lots of um, of of not listening to it and what happens when I don't. I've learned it in that way. I've learned it in how to get, and I feel it comes from an embodied state. It's not something that comes from my head, from my mind. So the more practiced I get in feeling into and being present to my body, the more 
the more I can listen into this space. So I think it's always been there, but what's developed is my capacity to listen and trust it and take action from that place, even when it doesn't make sense to my head. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's a pretty fundamental thing, I guess, isn't it? This In this process of you know, remembering and discovering. Uh, absolutely, but I don't think that we're taught how to value it. I don't think we're taught how to tune into it. I think we're taught the opposite and we're really distracted from it because, you know, it's such a powerful place to live your life from. Um, I think we've been consistently uh, distracted from it in lots of different ways and discouraged and not taught how to, to lean into it and then trust it. It's been devalued a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so those gatherings would have been at Jane's property, is that right? No, we were tent? all no, we just mm-hmm. moved oh. all over the country. We were it was early days. I didn't get to go to Jane's until my deepening year or a couple of years afterwards when, when she was running deepening kind of processes for graduates and we'd go back and, and do specific pieces of work and then I went to her place. So we were all over the country, um, We up as far as Mullumbimby and then down um, south and at Tom's Creek I think we did our vision quest. So... Yeah, we would just travel and I love that. That was part of the fun and the journey for me because we would gather anyone, um, any women who are sort of in a couple of hour radius from where I live, we'd travel together. And so part of it was the road trips and the journeying and the adventure along the way. Mm-hmm. Oh, I bet. That actually sounds amazing, like a yeah. nomadic, you know. Where are we going to be next (laughs) and gather and spread the wisdom and honour the land? Yeah, (laughs) it was part of the deepening of our relationships and it was like going walkabout. So I was pregnant with my fourth baby um, for a lot of that year and it was, yeah, it was my walkabout with this baby and these women on this journey. It was extraordinary. Mm. Mm, Beautiful. (laughs) And so... Uh, leading into the next gathering, I think, was that the full moon, if you can remember? Yes. And I yeah. think we were up, like, out near Bow Desert at a property, um, a beautiful place that I've been to several times since. We gathered there a few times at, I think, Sensiera, it's called. It's a beautiful um, venue there. And we did a couple of gatherings and one of them was full moon. Where is Bow Desert? I'm just trying to think in my head. I think it's out that way. It's kind of out um, west of Brisbane. I think it, it, the, yeah. this property is just over the, the Queensland border into New South Wales. Right, so desert. Uh, no, not actual desert. That's just the name of the lo- closest town, I think, that right, it's okay. closest to. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not to... desert. It's so right. lush. There's a beautiful yeah. swimming hole and creek and, yeah, bushland around it. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful property. Oh, yeah. Hang on. So top, yeah, right, New South Wales. Yeah, I'm thinking the other side of the New South Wales border, like, uh-huh. you know. yeah, okay. No, Great. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just mapping that out in my head. <laughs> yeah, we were very nomadic. We were gypsies. We just wandered all over the country. Yeah, there's something really special about that. It's just, yeah. Mm. And so how was that? Did you uh, make the mask of your power ally and how did that work out? I made two masks. The first one, (laughs) the first one I think was the mask I wanted to make and the second one was the mask I needed to make. And both of those masks and both of those animals have featured really in my whole journey in different ways one probably more prominent than the other yeah what were they the first mask was eagle and it was funny because this morning before talking to you I um, pulled out my writing from my vision quest and I had forgotten but eagle was a part of that journey and I'd really forgotten that piece so that was the first mask I made and then I can remember Jane there was I I must uh, I think I didn't feel particularly connected I think I realized that it probably came 
was the mask I wanted to make. And then um, through some processing of that, I made a second mask, which was a lioness mask. And that's the, that's the, the power animal I journeyed with um, most of all, I think, across that whole year and still. Mm. And can you remember then and now what they mean to you? personally in that sense uh-huh I think at the time like that lioness was that real healing that sacred wound healing um connecting with that um inner fierceness I find that a really interesting power animal because there's a fierceness there's the polarities of that animal of fierceness and protectiveness and and um, fight and then there's the community and the lull and um, being in still and presence and nurturance kind of space there's a fierce independence that I feel and when I connect into lioness and the power of that medicine um, that she can stand alone and be part of a tribe and move between the two um, so I think that was really important medicine in my healing journey to, to be and still to today to be in the polarities of myself I think that's a really key piece on um, navigating through menopause and out the other side of menopause is the polarities and holding that peace and the paradox of it yeah, eagle mm. was kind of the vision and soaring, uh, the vision above. And, you know, I'd still, that's still very much holding that big picture, holding that vision with eagle eyes, soaring above is really is still part of what I do. But then being willing to get down in the ground and in amongst it is what I do. So essentially they are the polarities too. Oh, yeah. Mm. Uh, that, yeah. Just love that. Mm. So what what came up for me just then I'm really curious about is did you have any, you know, big like visions or were they quite subtle or did you feel like there was something brewing as you journeyed with the school that like, yeah, this is what um, I'm here to work with and this is what the medicine is I want to share you know that type of thing did you find that eagle medicine really spoke to you in that visionary sense I would say no Ayla I think my whole that journey of four seasons was a really a healing piece for me that I needed to do the vision didn't emerge the vision was seeded there but honestly and I couldn't I couldn't at that point, even coming back from my vision quest, and I couldn't say this is my purpose. I had the pieces, but they made absolutely no sense to me. And I, and I just held them and nurtured them and followed them with, again, from that um, felt sense rather than from my head because my head couldn't make sense of it. So that year was really about, it was about healing. It was about creating the foundation of remembering ready to build on. And, and that's what I've done over the last 10 years is built on that foundation. So yeah, not a clear vision at that point. Mm. Nurturing the seed. Mm-hmm. Did you feel nourished at each is it? Absolutely nourished. Mm-hmm. And I was growing a baby at the time. So oh, I felt very, yeah. yeah, nourished myself and really, you know, this baby in my womb that was supported in this community of women. So I got to tap into that over and over through that pregnancy and then birth that baby just before the final gathering and had him there with me, which was really beautiful. Mm-hmm. So it was this kind of complete <laughs> process in itself. Yeah. Yeah. Love that trekking around the lands and mm-hmm. getting all the beautiful wisdom from the land and honoring it and growing a babe and then mm-hmm. you know birthing and <laughs> yeah yeah birthing myself Aww. birthing him yeah yeah in that nourishment I've actually never asked anyone this mm-hmm. do, how was the food for you <laughs> the food oh, I just got a really funny a beautiful image of um when we were at Sincera and the, I think. One, someone's daughters had come in to help uh, 
So these young women, these maidens were in the kitchen cooking all this food and doing the washing up. And we walked in and here they are sitting up at the bench. They'd help themselves first and they were eating all this beautiful, <laughs> beautiful food. And, you know, like, so I just loved it. It was just so, um, you know, representative of where they were at in their in the seasons and the cycles of these young women. <laughs> uh, the food was beautiful. It was it was nourishing. I, I, I think I just loved going away and someone cooking for me and me not having to do anything and here's this healthy, beautiful food and uh, I didn't have to wash up or anything. That was nurturing in itself. <laughs> oh, and the Toblerones, yeah. I remember Jane and the Toblerones, um, she'd bring out and break up. <laughs> this chocolate amongst us all at the end of a, I don't know, gathering or something. <laughs> Toblerones aren't the same anymore. I don't. I think they've changed something in them. You reckon? Like, they taste one. really wacky now. Oh, like, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I should just get one for the sake of remembering. Yeah. Well, I don't. Yeah. I'm just prepared to be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, beautiful. And so, you were saying before that you were reading your vision quest notes before Mm. we spoke can you tell me a bit about that like um, more on you know when you read those notes did you like wow oh yes or did you yeah like did you find anything that's like happening now in your life or those pieces of the puzzle are like oh there that thing or Uh, Ayla to be honest I just cried and I can feel it in my body mm. now. Like I just, so what I read was a, just an extract. So I kept a journal over that time. And the piece I read was the actual vision um, that, I be, that I was given and the experience that I had. And it wasn't in one moment of that vision quest. It was across those days that it emerged for me. Um, and it emerged as one of the most peak erotic experiences that I've ever had, um, solo on Vision Quest. And it made no sense. It was such a beautiful experience in its own right and I still hold it like that. And over the last 10 years, it's shaped my life. Um, not consciously, it shaped me into doing the work that I do now. So, yeah, when I read it this morning, my heart just opened and yeah, the tears just float at at realising um, the power of that experience and I didn't realise that at the time um, and how profound it was in it really I was gifted my purpose in that experience on Vision Quest and the naivety of and, and not understanding was part of the beauty of it, I think, um, that I didn't go away with a, a, an orchestrated plan, um, but I did go away with a deeply profound experience that I've just trusted and has shaped me um, and brought things my way. I think that I've and and I've had other moments of that deep yes that I experienced um, in knowing I needed to work with Jane, and I've just been able to trust them. And that's what's led me into, it led me into sexological body work. It, it's leading me into my own business now. It's into the sex coaching work in the communities I'm creating for women. And it, and it all was seeded from that experience. Mm. Oh, <laughs> I just want to go get my book out now and yeah, have a read. It's do. been a while. Yeah. I, I really love how you said it wasn't, you know, when you left it wasn't like, you going yes this is what I'm going to do and it's right here and right now it was like you said it wasn't an orchestrated plan you just Mm -hmm. left with that that vision that was there Mm -hmm. and the seed right which was Mm -hmm. what you said about the whole journey nurturing that seed in the growth and Mm -hmm. with the mystery around that absolute mystery like I didn't go out on vision quests with any idea that I was going to have such like this erotic experience like that is the last thing I would have ever imagined like if I had have um, created that experience from what I knew in my head and it would that, that wasn't even in the realm of possibility so yeah exactly it's about willingness to step into the mystery and see what unfolds see what wants to emerge and to go with it 
so yeah there was and and then and how that just has continued to unfold year after year in my life you are listening to the school of shamanic womancraft podcast series with ayla myra Subscribe to our podcast via iTunes and all good podcast players. So, uh, was there anything interesting or, you know, just around the more like practical sides of your vision quest that you noted? Um, around you know um the being out solo for three days like have you ever had that experience before where you're completely alone for that amount of time uh I think being alone was fantastic like it you know I've been alone most of my life I felt alone or in some form of aloneness whether I've created it or it's or it's how life has come to meet me so that was quite comfortable I was quite comfortable alone what I loved about being alone was that I wasn't distracted by the mundane parts of life you know like I remember saying oh I'll make a fire and then I went to do it and it was just distracting I really relished the lack of doing nothing and not needing to do anything I did eat some food because I was pregnant but it was pretty minimal so the opportunity to just be completely present and still I don't think I'd had that to that depth and level before um Mm. yeah I can remember when I I remember heading out and because I had to take so much stuff I took water and tent and food and I was pregnant I was about 14 weeks pregnant at the time and I can remember mumbling as I'm (laughs) walking out of base camp going why do I always have to choose the furthest spot because I do like (laughs) I've chosen the furthest spot away from everyone up the biggest hill and I'm mumbling and I can remember Jane going to me Susan maybe you know inviting me just pause and notice what that what is that about and I do pause and notice that a lot in my life I, and how hard I seem to have to make things or, you know, and there's this kind of interesting relationship I have with that part of myself that's about I actually need that level of challenge and that level of difficulty to create enough momentum and enough engagement and enough stimulus for me to really stick it out. At the same time, I need. I also notice sometimes when I create that and it's not purposeful it's not useful and it's just unnecessary part um, that I I seem to bring in so there's this interesting balance between needing to go to the furthest spot on vision quest and the biggest hardest hill and then not needing to do that and noticing the difference Mm. Mm. yeah that's um, perfect for this podcast to hear things in that way and mm-hmm. just pulled apart because um, that process of, you know, just having that space to do the self-inquiry, then you can, you know, speak it now later on and have that awareness of um, why we do what we do or where it comes from without having to act out all the time or do the thing mm-hmm. unconsciously. It's it's a beautiful part of growth, I feel. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. And it's not about making it all bad or all good or all right or all wrong. You know, we get stuck in a real binary around that kind of stuff. It's about just knowing ourselves at those deeper layers and noticing when those pieces are useful and when they're not. So, it's yeah, Vision Quest gave me those levels of depth and awareness about some of those key things about me. Mm. Mm. So, um, you know, tailing towards the end of your journey Mm -hmm. can we lead into the work that you're doing now um do you call yourself a sexologist too i call myself a somatic sex coach coach. yeah Yeah. okay so leading into this work Mm -hmm. um how was the years that passed through and how did you get into doing what you're doing because i'm really curious about that (laughs) oh 
again, it was just following the next curious, interesting piece that emerged. And and so I birthed that baby and, you know, there was a couple of years of really that solid parenting where, I, you know, those early years are so physically demanding and having to be really present to my kids. And then mm. noticing this agitation where it was it was i wanted to emerge into the next piece of myself and and moving into the next version of motherhood and and so it was the agitation and feeling really stuck again that um gave me i guess the momentum to reach into what else was possible so i could i felt that and then again another pivot point just arrived and that was to do sexological bodywork training and and it trained it it arrived just like jane had arrived in my life it wasn't something i went seeking i didn't even know what it was it's it's very similar i didn't had never heard of the people do it, who ran the training and it just kept knocking at my door in different ways so different friends would send me things and I, I can remember clearly um, one night sitting at the dining room table with my, my partner and opening my phone and just daring to look at the content of this course and then just slamming it shut and going, oh, my God, I couldn't do that, there's no way, and then <laughs> wanting opening it again. So I had this process of you know, like leaning in with curiosity and then being propelled by like, oh, my God, I could never imagine myself doing that. Um, And so, again, I trusted the yes and just went with it, enrolled, didn't know what I was really getting into and it's just unraveled from there. The next piece is just so I've just kept um, showing up, trusting it, leaning into the discomfort and moving. Mm. And so... You studied the course and then you just kept growing from there mm-hmm. into, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so how, how do you practice this now? What do you do? So um, I studied the yeah. course and then I went and did it all again in second year and revisited the material and, and did my own work and then built the depth. And and at the same time, I, um, I've, I've always worked in the, the women's community sector for many years. I took a break when I was... Um, parenting and having my babies and so I went back to that the work that I love in feminist grassroots organizations predominantly moving working um, in spaces around sexual violence and supporting uh, women to heal um, their bodies and their lives in that space so the world's kind of started to weave together Um, after I did Jane's course too I also shaped up for a couple of years I was running workshops, drum making workshops and year-long courses with women. So I put my learning and that material and and birthed that into my own version and offered that to my community here. So all the world, all my different parts of my my life were um, and experiences were weaving together um, till they got me to here. So I went back, did work in, in, in community organizations and ran my own private practice so I did that for a number of years running my sexological body work one-on-one predominantly um, sessions with people and then going to work in the community sector until the stretch just got so big and I, and I had to choose because I was holding these really you know like the sex sexual violence work is so big and it's such a big container to hold and and, and again, here's the polarities again of like working with in such trauma spaces and then coming back to my own private practice and working predominantly with pleasure and, the, and swinging between the two. And so I, in February this year, I made a choice. Um, well, I implemented a choice I made last end of last year to uh, leave the community sector. So after nearly 30 years of being in that space, it was a big deal of letting go of where I felt really accomplished and safe and familiar into stepping into an unknown space um, and being solely reliant on my business um, as my sole income and supporting my family. So um, that's what I'm doing now, um, full-time somatic sex coaching and running workshops and creating communities of women. I, I, I thrive and love communities of women and I've created many of them in my life. And this is another version of that um, erotic community where women can come and learn and grow and heal and claim the power of their erotic sexual selves. So 
yeah, that's mm. the work I'm doing doing now. So that's how the seed that was planted, that erotic experience on Vision Quest, I feel like now has really grown into that solid gum, oak, tree, whatever you like to call it, and taken mm. root. Oh, that's generating its own seeds now. It, it absolutely <laughs> is, and it feels really solid and um, deeply rooted in in my life this is it like this it now it's time I'm 50 I turned 50 last year um at the tail end you know really stepping into menopause now and so this is it like this is the harvest this is where I really get to bring all of those pieces together and share them yeah really just shows too in that vision quest or you know anything um like those experiences it doesn't have to be like in the format of words like this is what I am now to do like it's an in it having an embodied experience as a mm. seed is so profound that mm. that embodiment I mean this just comes to probably the womb or womb space work too doesn't it that mm. there's always something there that's generating in that powerful space that um, requires that deep sense of trust <laughs> yeah yeah, mm. it's like the seeds of growing a baby. You know, it's the same process. It's gestating, being willing to stay with it, trust it. It takes time. You've got to just keep nurturing yourself and showing up in that space and trusting and then having the birth you need to have to bring it to fruition. And, you know, that's a really significant thing that Jane taught me is trusting the birth I'm going to have the birth I need to have it, whether that's birthing my business whether that's birthing myself birthing my babies and can I trust it so you know I've just had a really big process of putting out into the world my workshops and my retreat program my mind had a really clear picture of what it wanted and then I just set the intention let it go put it out there and it's landed in a really different version and I love it it's beautiful it doesn't look like what I thought it was going to look like but it's rich and beautiful and I, and I will trust that and, and, and go with that. Mm. I'll share your workshops and retreats on the show notes too. That sounds intriguing. I'll have to go have a look after yeah, we've finished beautiful. talking. Yeah, they're pretty lush. <laughs> How did you go? I just want to go back to when you left after 30 years. Was there a part of that too where, um, you know, the work around that system and the procedures and who you had to be? I'm assuming you probably had to mask up in to some degree. Did, did you find that just was hitting a brick wall all the time that you were trying to serve in that space and hold space but the system around it just wasn't supporting that where you were going? Yeah, to a point, absolutely. When you're talking about systems, big picture systems, absolutely. Like when I was working in, you know, around court systems and justice, that was a that was hugely challenging for me in the space around sexual violence. It was like banging my head against a brick wall um, and at times completely overwhelming. It was just so big and so hard. I was really fortunate um, to be able to work in organisations that were quite radical. I worked in collectives, women's collectives, feminist organisations where I felt supported to front up to those systems. So I was in amongst incredible women um, that, you know, came together and collaboratively, collectively worked together to challenge and create change because banging your head against that brick wall on your own is not like, well, for me personally, not sustainable. It's just depleting. So, yes, I did that work and it was really frustrating and I will continue to do that work because it's so important and impacts on our individual experiences. But I never had to do that alone. And I found collectives to um, where I felt very aligned. And I didn't have to mask up. That, that really allowed me to bring everything, which is particularly, you know, when I started doing sexological bodywork and, and working with sex and eroticism, like there was a period of time where I would show up for job interviews and not mention it or not bring that, not let those worlds meet until gradually I built, built more confidence and started to do that. So I'd name it in my interview and I'd show up and, I, and the last organisation I worked for, um, which is BRISC, which is the Brisbane Rape and Incest Survivors Support Centre, 
incredible women who working in that collective they not only allowed me they encouraged me to bring um to let those worlds weave in together and and we created beautiful groups i'm running another one it's called embrace i'm running that at the moment with them still which is specifically for survivors of um sexual violence on sex and intimacy and reclaiming their relationship with their body and pleasure and we made a podcast and so that was our way of yeah we we would bang our heads against those big systems and still get down in the grassroots and create the change that would you know really um, made a difference in women's lives despite the systems Mm. Mm. Thank you for your work that you're doing and, you know, the continuation of that too because it's mm. so important. That, mm. Yeah. Yeah, so important. How do you ground yourself for self-care? Is there anything particular that you can offer to people that you do or do you just? It's really important and I, and I do have, um, I'm quite disciplined in that space because I know if I don't invest there, everything else suffers. So if I really want to show up for the women I work with and the work that I do, my self-care is a priority. So I do that in a lot of different ways. I, you know, I have um, my own communities of women and people, erotic communities that I tap into regularly and places where I can feel held and supported and nourished. So they're consistently in my life and I make a commitment to them. I live in a beautiful place where I can walk out my back door and right there is my connection to the earth and the elements and I draw that in and use that um, in my everyday life. Um, I have orgasmic yoga practice, so my own solo practice that I can tap into my own body and my own eroticism and my pleasure, that, that's like my fuel, that's like my engine house that fuels everything I do because that's my vitality and my vibrancy and I consciously cultivate that every day. So, yeah, that's how I care for myself. It's really important. Mm. And your relationship, uh, you, you're you in an mm. intimate relationship, yeah. Yep. And ha- can I ask how has that grown with the work that you're doing and mm. is your partner really up for like what's next in you know what I mean like (laughs) I wouldn't say well yeah look he's up for it and he look it's been extremely challenging he's my partner of 30 years um we've been together a very long time and I would honestly say we're in the third version of this relationship there's been um very dramatic uh I don't know junctures that we've had to navigate together that have been extremely challenging and and kind of turned everything up on on its end and caused us to, you know, everything's been thrown up and we've had to go, okay, what are the bits we're keeping? What are the bits we need to let go of? We need to recreate this and and we're probably in the third version of this um, relationship. The work that I do, he's been my number one supporter you know, he was the he encouraged me that day when I'm sitting flipping my phone, going, "I can't." He said, "You can." So he's absolutely um, walked alongside me and been my volunteer and my practice person that I've got to explore and experiment with um, a lot of the stuff. At the same time, there's been times where it's deeply challenged him and our relationship. So, yeah, it's it's been a journey, and I think it's made us stronger and deeper connection um for it but it's taking courage and willingness to stay in it along the way um, also but yeah I'm very thankful for his support and constant encouragement belief in me yeah Yeah. but you know like you could have probably picked two more different people on the planet like (laughs) we are we are so different like we do not walk the same journey together not at all in terms of, you know, how we grow and learn as human beings and experience this life. But, but there's certainly that place where we meet. Oh, yeah, I love that. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. Mm. I think, you know, anyone listening, that's a really good point in relationship to, <laughs> to keep remembering sometimes that it's okay, Yeah, <laughs> myself it's okay. included. Yeah, and that's, I think, 
part of what makes it sustainable is not needing him to be the same as me, you know, not, and that was a big turning point. Like at one point I desperately wanted to, when I was on the Four Seasons journey, it was so, it was not part of his life experience. His capacity to understand that was really hard and I needed to learn to allow him to be who he, and not understand that that was okay like it's okay for us to have our own pathways and journeys doesn't mean we can't be together can't doesn't mean there's no place that we meet so allowing that breathing in and breathing out is really important Mm. and then if that willingness is there then you know bang it's a, a beautiful portal of growth I suppose isn't it in a relationship yeah yeah, and you mm. and you both need to be willing to do that and own your own stuff and, and process. Yeah. Oh, easier said than done, yeah. I think. Yeah. It's when you think you get somewhere in relationship, there's just something always uh, comes up. So say hands down, like parenting and mm-hmm. relationships are like my biggest teachers in life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not easy. It, there's certainly I hear you. There's real there's really different um, really big pivot points often where the choices you make and how you navigate them are really significant and mm. hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like signing up for a self-led course but then there's an expiry date of when the whole thing ends or something. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I, I reckon there's a whole lot of stuff we get layered with, like conditioned with around the rules in this space too that are really, really unhelpful. And, and this idea of how we should be together and what this should look like and how relating should look like and how sex should look like. And and a lot of it's, to be quite honest, just bullshit and really unhelpful. So knowing, being able to sit back and know what's, what's true for you and what you really value and your beliefs around this space. I mean, at the end of the day, we, we, we can design the relationships we really want to have. It's, it's really possible, but we need to unravel the myths and misinformation we get in this space. It's really, it's so yeah. out there. It's quite suffocating sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. How thick and fast it all comes. Yeah. And... Fit in this box. And if yeah. you don't, what's wrong with you? One of the things I want to ask is that on, on conditioning, um, we, you know, I know in the community here we're having a lot of conversations around it, is the porn and the industry around that. How do you feel like when, you know, you see clients or community groups or, you know, whatever, are you seeing that disjointed effect on what porn is doing to intimacy for into self and in relationship? Yeah. Yeah, I love this question. It's really, really interesting and really important conversation to have. I think um, I'm not anti-porn. I think there is a place for porn. I think so I think it's how we use porn. It's the content of porn and some porn that we need to be concerned about. I think what porn does, it can be incredibly disembodying because for a start, the stimulus our pleasure is external so we're not embodied where we get stuck in one position that if you could see me if you imagine sitting on a chair with a screen in front of you you know that is the number one sexual position of this generation and it's concerning we are not moving we're stuck uh, in, we're disconnected from our body the stimulus is external we're limiting our pleasure we're really struck stuck in this agenda performance based kind of script that porn puts forward as good sex it's you know it, it's really really limiting our experiences and our disconnect from our body I think we need to be concerned around some of the content of some pornography and the interrelatedness to sexual violence. I mean, we got we have a generation of young people because we are not um, offering quality sex ed in this space. We have young people who are naturally and beautifully curious about their body and experiencing pleasure. So, and we're not offering this. So they are. That's what they're using to shape their templates, their scripts. And then they go cut and paste into everyday life and it doesn't fit at a minimum or it's causing a lot of harm because there's not good information there around how do we have good sex, how do we be in healthy relationships, how do we navigate consent 
authentically in an embodied way. So I think we need to be having these conversations about porn. They're really important. And, yes, they are shaping um, the sexual scripts in our experiences. Yeah, such a big conversation, isn't it? I'd love to, you know, just do a whole podcast on (laughs) just talking about this because, I mean, I I remember once um, my oldest was at, my oldest son was at a book week parade Mm -hmm. and the school played this song which, um, like, you know, if you looked at the video clip, you know, it's quite, sexualized and of a young person singing and they were talking about hoes and all this sort of stuff and you know like you know rubbing up against each other and you know butt slapping and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and like these little kids are Mm -hmm. like parading around with their book week costumes in this song and I just was like how like how have we come to a place where like they you know for me it was just quite like I was just jumping up and down going, can no one like hear what this is like they're listening to? And it just made me realise that from the day dot that they get on and watch pop music, then, you know, pop porn or whatever you call it, like it's there already for them to start going, oh, right, so that's how I treat other people or Mm -hmm. that's what I should look for, you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. I guess it's an initiation that's happening to young people that, um, is really devaluing them straight away. Yeah, and we're getting really desensitised about it. We're not having any consciousness around the messages that we're sending. You know, what what are we really wanting to cultivate in, in our young people around their relationships to their bodies and pleasure and sex? And, and you know, that stuff is it's unconscious. People that don't even have awareness around the messages that they're taking on through those sort of things. Yeah, like that, you know, it's just so mm-hmm. in whatever and you can just have like subtle pornographic stuff in a book week parade, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's everywhere, like you can't hide from it. Yeah, I um, can remember my daughter listening to a similar song because all her friends were and she knew every single word and she's singing it and so I asked her if she knew what each of the like some of these were she was mortified and very embarrassed but you know nonetheless we had the conversation she had no idea she had no idea it was yeah. you know, talking about wet pussies and lubrication yeah. and all of this stuff <laughs> like it was really out there it was really explicit but no yeah. idea yeah. yeah that happened to me I, I don't know my when we used to go on summer holidays to where my mum used to live in mm-hmm. South Australia she used to put me in these like beauty pageant things for New Year's Day uh-huh. <laughs> I hated it and she used to brush my hair and whatever and at the time I remember listening I was listening to this song you know that one that's like I like big butts and I cannot lie uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. and so I'm in the mirror and they're brushing my hair my mum and my auntie and like putting this swimsuit on <laughs> um, and I'm like they're like oh what do you think and I said I look like a total prostitute and I had no idea what the word meant and they just looked at each other and, like, <laughs> they were so shocked. But it was at the start of that song and I thought, it, you know, I was like, oh, well, I'll just throw it out there and just see what, like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it yeah. sounded like, it sounds like you got the messaging that that was not okay also. Well, that's right. Yeah, there's an imprint there, right, their reaction. Then it was never spoken about to me because nothing ever was. Like it wasn't like they sat down and said, oh, all right, well, you know, let's talk about that and <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We don't, we don't have we don't have a lot of awareness around the, even the things we're not saying is really shaping mm. our kids and our young people's views. Mm. I think that's the worst, isn't it? The things we're not saying. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, you know, there's yeah, a lot that's of silence. Sh- yeah, such yeah shame silence. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Ah, so um, when I like to wrap up the podcast. Mm. What would you say to the people that are listening that are considering journeying with the school, um, you know, sitting on the fence or maybe, maybe not, what would you say to those people? I'd say trust. Trust your felt sense. Feel, Feel into, see if you can notice what the story is in your mind and then feel into What's your body say? What's your felt sense? And if, it, if there's a yes, then trust it and not need to know what the next step or the next plan or how it is even going to happen, but really trust, honour and take action on that yes. 
Thank you so much, Susan, for all sharing all your journey and your wisdom. And I felt really activated out after this talk, especially towards the end. So big gratitude for what you're doing out there in the community. Yeah, beautiful. It's lovely talking to you. It's um, This has been really special to me because it is 10 years and it's like a celebration and an acknowledgement of that. So thank you, Ayla. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Mm. Thank you. For more information on today's inner review with photos and how to connect, head over to schoolofshamanicwomancraft.com forward slash media forward slash podcast. Subscribe to our podcast via iTunes and all good podcast players. We are all in this together.